0: I know it's not popular with people nowadays because I think it's old school. A good old fashioned print newsletter that you deliver every month, if as far as positioning a uh, branding yourself as getting th- the high fees, I think that's the most important thing a copywriter could do. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new. Is crushing it. My guru could beat up
1: your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome back to the truth about marketing. It's Kevin Rogers here. This is the show where you go deep with the actual people who make the actual money in this crazy world of digital marketing that we all love to exist in. My guest today is Doberman Dan. I'm really excited for this. Uh, Dan and I have kind of known each other for a good five, six years now, but we're really getting to know each other better right now. Uh, and you know, Dan has a fascinating story, everything from spending time with the great Gary Halbert, one of the few copywriters to actually live with Gary, learn directly from Gary, get Gary's stamp of approval as a copywriter. Uh, But Dan is also a very experienced businessman. He actually started this sort of backwards as to how most copywriters do it, where he was in business first, he built businesses uh, using his direct response prowess, and then kind of jumped over to the freelancing side for a while so uh this is going to be a fascinating conversation we're going to learn a lot from dan and uh really appreciate you being on today dan oh it's my pleasure i appreciate the invitation yeah it's going to be fun man so uh maybe this is i mentioned halbert and he's such a legend uh you know give us the one what's the what's the halbert story you you don't tell as often (laughs) <laughs> Give us a scoop here, well, there are some that I probably
0: don't tell because maybe they're not for mixed company. <laughs> I learned so much from that man. It was just insane. In fact, I learned so much in this compressed period of time, like really, in about like less than two years there must have been decades worth of lessons crammed into those two years. Mm. And this might not make sense, but I don't think a lot of those lessons at the time I was actually ready for. I was I was ready nor able to absorb. Mm. And the weirdest thing happened, it's almost like Gary still talks to me and everybody's gonna think, oh, this dude, <laughs> we're gonna go off into woo-woo land. You know, I think everything went in this spongy gray matter between my ears. But the stuff I wasn't ready for seems to pop out now. Mm-hmm. It's just the perfect time, you know? And uh, it's, I don't know if he engineered it that way. <laughs> and he thought, this this guy is kind of stupid right now, but I'm still gonna teach him this stuff. <laughs> but there's and a it,
1: spark there, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's right. There's maybe a spark <laughs> that, that maybe decades down the road, it'll finally wise up and get it. But but that's that's what happened. You know, since you were talking about freelancing, uh, I did learn a freelancing lesson from him. This is just one of the many stories and things I learned from Halbert. He 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 very rarely actually, quote unquote, taught me anything. He mm. just let me observe stuff as he did it and, you know, absorb whatever lessons. But this one time he did call me over. He goes, I want to show you something He goes, I want to show you this email. And this is how you respond. And it was basically somebody kind of jerking his chain about money, mm-hmm. about a fee. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really strong in how he responded to them and, and actually not nice about it at all. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I don't remember his exact words, but he said something like, you know, when, when somebody challenges you like this, it's like, your child, it's like your teenager, you know, your kid's 15 and now is starting to challenge dad. Mm-hmm. If you don't respond the right way, then you're just sending them the message they can walk all over you. And, you know, he showed me exactly how he responded. And that's, a, that's one of those lessons, Kevin, mm-hmm. that it just did not apply to me then, didn't apply for decades. When I finally started freelancing in 2012, that lesson just popped out of my head at just the exact right moments. So, Howard so was pretty amazing, and that for some reason, his lessons are
1: still coming alive for me. Yeah. That's great. I think really that is one of the most valuable things someone could teach us because it's not instinctual, right? Especially in a sort of a client, you know, service provider scenario. We just think, oh, let's let's keep everything running smooth here and let's be polite. But, uh, yeah, I, I have to thank Carlton for teaching me similar stuff. Yeah, the, the one piece of advice that John gave me that literally – was the fork in the road for my career is printed and hanging on my wall. You know, it was, it was that powerful. And it was a similar thing. He was kind of giving me permission to screw up and keep going. It's okay that I have to screw up, you know, but do it in a big way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I love that. Uh, And so, yeah, I can imagine that's just a cool thing that, like you said, you know, you're just not ready at the time. And then later we talk about the gift that keeps on giving from a legend like that it must feel great when those moments where he just kind of pops into your head like that
0: yeah it's it's pretty amazing <laughs> uh one of these days maybe you know I'll finally get off my butt and as they start popping into my head actually make a a detailed list of them i mean i've 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 shared some of them in in stuff i've I've written online and stuff i i write in my newsletter but i've n- never made one comprehensive list That actually that might be a <laughs> That'd be that's super like cool a, yeah that's that's a, that's a big project so much stuff i learned from gary and of course you know you know bond and kevin halbert yeah um they are they are the ones nowadays since gary passed they are the ones uh keeping his lessons alive and his legends a al- his legend alive and sharing you know all kinds of lessons that they've learned from him too so they're you know, they're they're kind of the ones taking the rain on that. Um, yeah. So I, I got to give him credit for that. And thank God they kept his uh, they kept all of his or most of his old newsletter issues yeah. available. That's just a multimillion dollar education for any copywriter or marketer.
1: Right. <clears throat> That's the truth. And yeah, they just they're never going to charge for them. Uh, they they were always meant to be free. You know, they could they could have really bastardized everything Gary created in his life a lot of different ways instead they do the exact opposite they honor it and build upon it which is which is amazing
0: i think well i don't think i i know they've had people tell them and try to advise them on how to bastardize it yeah and sure. uh you know and they could they know this they could make a lot of money doing that but yeah. They chose not to. And uh, you got to respect that because, I mean, while he was alive, Halbert influenced, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people. And there's people who are, you know, uh, online marketing, uh, have online marketing empires and mail order millionaires because of Halbert. And, you know, thank God, uh, Kevin and Bond,
1: Halbert are are keeping it alive. Yeah. And, and, And there are times where they watch other people cash in. Uh, and it can be a little disconcerting sometimes, but still they hold their integrity, so uh, very cool. So also something that fascinates me is that you were a cop.
0: Yeah, (laughs) which I mean if you knew me in high school and saw how much weed I smoked, you'd find that really (laughs) kind of weird. (laughs) Well,
1: it takes a thief to catch a thief, is that what they say?
0: You know, there's a lot of truth to
1: that, Kevin. (laughs)
0: That that gig was pretty much like all my jobs and career opportunities, no planning whatsoever. It just stumbled into it. You know, just a series of stumblings (laughs)
1: led
0: to that. What led to it was some friends. You know, we were working in security uh, (laughs) and they're like, oh, the city of Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. Is given a civil service test for a police officer, and we're all taking it next week. You want to take it? And I told him, I guess I'll go if you guys are going, but. Man, you know, if they ask me how much weed I smoked in high school or any of the other <laughs> drugs I experimented with, I'll immediately be disqualified. But yeah, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tag along and take the test. That was that was the entire
1: life planning for me. So <laughs> the- you know, you got a gun on your hip and a badge it- on your chest, and <laughs> and and it wasn't that many years out of high school.
0: I mean, I was wow. in the police academy when I was only twenty. I I was twenty one by the time I graduated, and uh, so yeah, not. Many years had passed since high school that, you know, a guy from my background, I grew up in Barberton, Ohio, a blue collar town. And, you know, uh, parents, at least one parent who grew up in dirt, poor Mississippi poverty. When you grow up with that kind of mental programming, when you get a civil service job, they think that is the epitome of success. In Mm -hmm. fact, family members told me that's the best you're ever going to do you know, Mm -hmm. and that job is stable and you got benefits. So you don't ever leave that. You certainly better never aspire to anything more because our people don't, you know, do better than that. You, you've reached, you've reached the pinnacle and, uh, that was depressing because I wanted more, you know, (laughs) I wanted to make more than, uh, 35,000 a year (laughs) with overtime. I mean, I had to make, I had to work overtime to make that. And, uh, you know, just no life planning. That's
1: how I wound up in, in that, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, that's really, and you know, not to take a, a weird turn on a marketing conversation here, but I have to ask, you know, because you, the way you described it, with all the stuff happening, you know, today, uh, politics aside, there obviously are incidents where it, it feels like guys who just shouldn't be cops are making either bad decisions or just having to make decisions they're unprepared to make in circumstances, right? Does your experience, how do you see situations like that? Do you think that, you know, the political agendas have have made it all out more than it really is? Or do you kind of go, no, I can see why these things happen, because these are just kind of like guys out of high school who suddenly, you know, have guns on their hips.
0: Yeah, that's a good observation. There's a lot to that. One of the things, you know, I learned a lot from being a cop that is, that has really helped me out as an entrepreneur, a direct marketer and a, and a copywriter. Mm -hmm. And one of those things was persuasion skills. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there were, this is oversimplification, but let's say there were two, two different kinds of guys that i'd work with or would be partnered up with or if we were working single man crews that we'd be sent you know to a call together and and the one you know goes in there thinking that the way to handle this situation is to be the badass and use force if necessary and the other realizes that that really sucks because they, <laughs> you get in all kinds of trouble and have to do use of force reports. The sergeants come out, they get pissed off because they have to do reports. And then the other guy realizes that the most important weapon you got in the fight is your mind. And uh, and those lessons not only saved my life, but you know I saved other people's lives uh, because of it and then went on to make me millions of dollars. And, and I think perhaps if they'd screen a little bit better and hire people with some people skills, man, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who understand empathy and, and yeah. perhaps can yeah. understand diffusing situations using persuasion skills and understanding how to use those persuasion skills. This is this is a this is a copywriting lesson, actually, Kevin, even though we didn't plan this. great, You know, because when people are freaking out, when you show up on a guy's got a gun to his wife's head, you can use all the logic and uh, you want on that dude. And it's one in one ear and out the other. In fact, it may just make the situation worse. You can use all kinds of threats and it's going to make the situation worse. you have to understand human psychology. You got to understand what I call amygdala hijack. That guy, his amygdala, his lizard brain is now taken over. You better figure out how to get him out of amygdala hijack. Or he's gonna kill his wife, or you, or himself. Hmm. And this is the exact same stuff we do as copywriters, man. We you gotta understand human nature and people's emotions, you know, and how to work within those emotions to to when you weave your message. Because if you just start writing facts and feature benefits and reason why stuff, you know, your results are kind of sucky. You gotta understand the psychology behind it, and so even though, you know, being a cop, I can't believe I did it 12 years, which was actually 10 years too long for me. Mm. Um, it was a, something I stumbled into. I guess it all worked out in the end because I, I'm able to apply all those, uh, psychological lessons in this marketing copywriting game.
1: Wow. Dude, that was great. <laughs> That's really insightful, man. And, uh, you know, it, it, I have just a, a, a four-hour experience with what you're saying, but that was my one big takeaway. It, it, weirdly, I, I thought I wanted to be a cop. When, when we moved to Florida, I was, you know, done with stand-up, had never heard of this thing called, you know, marketing or copywriting, and wanted some stability. You know, I was ready to start a family, and I've just always been drawn to police work. And I went on a ride along to, to, to just get a, an idea if, the, if it was at all for me. And my big takeaway with it was exactly what you said is like, n- none of these cops were showing any empathy and it was very much about paperwork how they decided to proceed on any <laughs> given call right yeah like oh man you know <laughs> if
0: we split this dude's head open we're going to be stuck with paperwork for the next <laughs> six hours so let's not do that
1: right or or <laughs> you know this guy's got one crack rock and I do I really want to have to process this you know <laughs> <laughs> but it, it so we ended up in the in the in the hospital with we, we brought this guy in and uh he was too you know, uh, tweaked out to actually get into the jail. So we had to bring him to the hospital and there's this crazy stalemate happening where, uh, the, the nurse needs to know everything this guy has ingested and he obviously doesn't want to admit any of that. And so we're just sitting there and and the cop is kind of like, yeah, I I mean, eventually he'll either just kind of sober up and we can bring him back or, you know, and I'm like, can I go talk to him? <laughs> I said, I said to the guy, I oh, said, Did you really? Well, here, yeah, I said to the guy, I said, now let me let me ask something. If, if it, w- w- what he says now can that be used against him? Can, he can't be charged with whatever he took, you know, three hours ago, right? He's like, no, it doesn't matter. He's just is scared to say it. I go, I, you know, so I go talk to the guy, and I just explain to him. I go, here's the deal, man. I go, the only, you know, nothing you say can get you in more trouble. You've already been busted with crack. That's the only charge. Just let this nurse do her job and help you, and and let's make sure you're not you know uh, sicker than you feel right now. And then everybody can get on their way. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> He's just like starts <laughs> listening, great. yeah. And it was like over, and I was like, but the 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 I understood what the, the the guy I was with was. The cop was—he's just cynical to these things, right? And it was just an annoying part of the job for him. And he wasn't thinking, "Well, let me go look this guy in the eye and explain to him that it's going." And Maybe it was because I wasn't wearing a badge, you know? I was just some some guy on the ride along. I don't know, but it really—it was taken aback by the idea that that you know th- there is this lack of wanting to work together in a lot of instances, right?
0: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, I often think. Here I was 21 years old, you know out on the street in the inner city, and they're sending this 21 year old kid To to a family trouble, you know, and and so I'm supposed to mediate a family trouble people been married for 20 years I speaking of not having empathy. I just did not get I'm single. I'm 21. I'm playing (laughs) the field I'm loving life and here. I'm supposed to mediate a family trouble. Listen just deputize me right now. Okay after two divorces Send me to the family <laughs> trouble, I will be the most effective cop ever in dealing with family troubles. You know, no yeah.
1: empathy for it back then. I certainly have a lot now. <laughs> That's great, right? It's just, yeah, it's just sending somebody in, right? Somebody show up and end this thing so nobody gets killed. This is crazy. <laughs> right. Wow. So, well, that was a fun side road, really insightful. And, and man, what a great point about having empathy and understanding the emotional element of it, right? It's not about how much information can I fit on this page to convince somebody that they should have this product? It's like Dean Jackson always says, it's not convince, it's compel. How do you compel them? And that requires emotion and understanding and empathy. So, great point, Dan. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your what you learned from business. Because, I mean, you know, dude, you, you have the cojones that a lot of um, anybody who would call themselves a copywriter either just aren't born with or, you know, it's not their instinct when they get into this business, especially if they start as copywriters, to, you know, put it all on the line and be a a real life entrepreneur. Uh, You grew, among other things, a a supplement company uh, where you are, you know, actually creating and manufacturing uh, compounds and supplements. That couldn't have been an easy thing to start. There's no kit for that, huh? Yeah, I I went into that pretty much blind, I guess. In fact, I
0: didn't ever want to be a copywriter. What I wanted, I wanted a mail order business. So this was pre-internet days,
1: mm.
0: so like nineteen ninety four, I guess. I just wanted a mail order business. The reason that appealed to me is because people send you money in the mail, or they call in <clears throat> to you know a call center, and then you charge your credit card. There's no face to face, belly to belly sales. And I, you know, I knew stories and new guys who were who have mail order businesses and they were working a few hours a day once things were up and running and making really good money and then spending the rest of the free time doing whatever they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was to play the guitar. So I'm thinking, man, you know, if I could like get this thing where I just worked maybe three hours a day in the mail order business. And you know, the rest of the time screw around playing guitar and bands and stuff like that. And and you know, the mail order business would free me from the police department. That was the dream. In order to do that, I needed copy. In order to have good copy, <laughs> I needed money to hire a good copywriter. Well, <laughs> I had no money. So I just had to do it myself and started a mail order business in the bodybuilding niche, which was a, a passion of mine at the time. And which was, it was all good. That little, I sold a self-published bodybuilding course. And after a year, that little mail order business is what freed me from the police department. But what I discovered is that market will buy information products, but what they really want is, and what they're spending most of their money on is supplements. And I just, again, like the police department, I stumbled into the supplement business initially just by selling, you know, buying stuff wholesale and selling that to my customer list that I generated from the sale of my bodybuilding info products. And then that led to, then I figured out, oh, there's actually manufacturers that'll make this stuff for you. And I can have my own supplement line. And I I was so so stupid (laughs) and ignorant about the entire process, you know, I just went into it completely blind. I think if I would have known too much information, I probably would have gotten scared and never done it. Yeah. Did it end up being a you know a lucrative thing? Yeah. So I've started three. The first one was, was a, just a small little business that I just sold the supplements as a back end to the customers who were buying my, my info products. And then another one was, was not bodybuilding supplements, it was health related supplements. And then after I got done working with Gary Halbert in 2004, out of sheer financial desperation, (laughs) uh, not having an income and being broke, I started another bodybuilding supplement company on my kitchen table with I think all of 2000 bucks and a yellow legal pad and a blue pen. And uh, in that one I had, till 2012 I sold that in 2012 so like 97 that's when I went full-time with my mail order business 97 through 2012 with the exception if somebody asked me for a favor to write them some copy Hmm. like maybe once every five years all the copy I wrote was for my own businesses I also started you know a bunch of different info businesses and in various uh, different niches And then 2012, I sold that bodybuilding supplement company. And that's when I started freelancing full time. So, yeah, I went completely
1: backwards than most copywriters. Yeah, interesting. And now you have this great uh, newsletter and you've been running that for a while, yeah?
0: Yeah. So let me see. I started the Doberman Dan letter. I started that in 2011 when I still have my bodybuilding supplement company. And it was I wanted to like get some of these lessons down on paper that I'd been learning through my own entrepreneurial stuff mm-hmm. and you know the things I learned from Gary and had implemented and and so I needed the discipline of a deadline <laughs> and I started that newsletter really with no intention of making a business out of it and now here it is uh going on 6 years now or yeah well
1: you know, five years five into five years, my good. bad
0: five years, five years and three months now into that
1: wow, and so do you find that is it seems like a great way to to grow and learn yourself right they say there's no better way to learn something than to than to have to teach it
0: yeah, for sure there is there are so many good things that have come out of my newsletter none of which I ever planned for nor expected. You're, you know what, Kevin, your listeners are going to be so overwhelmed with with me. I mean, they're going to think <laughs> this dude has just stumbled through 21 <laughs> years of all this stuff. And I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, the newsletter. So I, I, every year I reread all of Gary Halbert's newsletters. And in December of 2010, I reread all of his newsletters and, and just made this snap decision. I'm inspired. I'm going to start a newsletter. And two weeks later, I'd started a newsletter. What I I didn't know I was going to sell the bodybuilding supplement business. I didn't know any of this stuff. Long story short, what happened, what everything good in my business life today as a freelance copywriter directly has come out of my newsletter. Like all my best clients, if not all my clients, now I think about it, have come from the newsletter. They they were subscribers. Mm. They hired me um, joint venture partners, friends. Uh, I gotta tell you, although I know it's not popular with people nowadays because I think it's old school, a good old fashioned print newsletter that you deliver every month. If, as far as positioning a uh, branding yourself as uh, getting the high fees I think that's the most important thing a copywriter could do. Again, my opinion is biased because that's how it has worked out for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know why that is. I guess there's several reasons. Maybe it's the discipline people seeing like, hey, man, it's hard to write a newsletter every month and put it out. And maybe if when people see that and they think, "Ah, you know, this dude's been doing this for years, so maybe I can – you know maybe that's the kind of dude I won't write in my copy right. I don't know maybe that's yeah. part of it
1: I think well I think a, a big part of it is authority too, right I mean, if you're somebody it's kind of like you said about being the twenty one year old kid showing up to a domestic situation <laughs> and it being sort of ridiculous for you to be the one moderating you know uh, these discussions, I think people see that you know there's a lot of people full of hot air out there, and if somebody's putting out a newsletter every month full of Insights, then obviously that person's been in the trenches, knows a lot, knows a lot of things not to do, and is going to make as good a consultant as they are a copywriter, right? So, um, I bet that's a big part of it is just it's proof that you know what the hell you're doing. I agree, and you know, again, I'm biased
0: because I like print, yeah, for a lot of reasons. Of course, I'm old school, man. I mean, I I came into this business before the internet was a viable media, and all we had was print space ads and magazines and newspapers and direct mail. And that's how I started. So, you know, take, keep that in mind. The principle remains the same, whether you, your platform is established online on a blog, on a membership site, you send out regular emails. The the principle is still the same.
1: Right. Right. All right. So Dan, this is going to be fun because, uh, you know, we, I ask an essential question on this show to, to all my guests, and it, it, it lends perfectly into this idea of you sort of stumbling into stuff, because, you know, when you stumble into something, you've got to figure out what works, and I'm sure oftentimes the, what it is is surprising. So the essential question of the show is, Doberman Dan, what is the one thing you've done in your marketing that has produced the most surprising results? Oh, oh man, that's a good question. Which, which you didn't prep me for. So,
0: <laughs> so now my mind is racing. I'm thinking, oh crap! Uh, you stumbled into this question, and now you have to. <laughs> so yeah, now now I have to ask it. So or I have to answer it. Ask me that question again, please. Okay. And this is me buying time, you know. <laughs>
1: Go through the yeah the rolodex of hits and it could be something bad by the way something you were positive would work and then just didn't right so it could go oh either, my lord could I go mean, either way you want me to go that way because hey, only how one long person a hey, show well, you, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I've done about seventy of these interviews now and only one person has had the uh, the nuts to uh, to to tell the negative story so.
0: I got two really biggies and it just depends on which, how bad I want to humiliate myself, um, (laughs) which I'm pretty good at doing that, by the way, humiliating myself. So the two biggies are, I'll let you choose. Um, One is more so a marketing lesson than copywriting. Actually, I guess they both are. But uh, so the one is I stumbled again. Here we go with the stumbling business. I stumbled upon something that, you know, could have made me a lot of money, possibly could have made me a multimillionaire, according to the media buyer I work with now. And I totally screwed it up and blew it off and never moved forward. Hmm. Uh, We could talk about that one, or we could talk about how I screwed up a print ad that was in every publication I was running it in, uh, was bringing me anywhere from a 400% to a 500% return on investment, and how I screwed that up in a matter of two months and went bankrupt.
1: Oh, so, you choose. Well, you guys, I mean, you can't, we can't resist that, right? So <laughs> okay. Because the first one's a missed opportunity, and we don't know for sure that that would have panned out like, like we think, right? So, the yeah, fact this... that you lived the horror of the second one, uh, we got to go with that. So, <laughs> okay. gonna, let's stage it. Here we go. I'm going to ask it over.
0: In this one, for sure, this isn't just a, oh, things went really bad. This is like when I say bankrupt, I mean legally bankrupt, you know, humiliated (laughs) in front of the court and the judge and the judge or whatever you called him, you know, this procedure looks at me and I don't remember his exact words, but what he basically said is, dude, how did you mess this up so bad in such a short time?
1: This is great. (laughs) This is going to be an epic answer. All right, here we go. So
0: I guess this was like mid nineties, maybe, uh, I had this ad that I wrote and it was like I said, it was for 400% to 500% and one magazine, 600% ROI in every single insertion in the magazine, wow. it was for a, uh, a supplement product in the bodybuilding market. And I would love to tell you it was because my copy was so brilliant. The, the truth is, Kevin, it really wasn't that good back then, but, uh, Nobody in the bodybuilding market was really running these style of ads. They they had all switched to image looking ads. So my ad just stood out and the mm. copy was mm. mediocre. But so <laughs> so these guys from Penthouse Contact, Penthouse Magazine, the nudie mag, mm-hmm. they contact me and they do their sales pitch because they see my ad running everywhere in the bodybuilding market. And they tell me, oh, man, you know, this Man, we got a lot of guys interested in fitness and bodybuilding health that read Penthouse so much so that we're going to start a new publication. But, you know, it's just the audience. They send me their media kit, you know, backing up what they're telling me, by the way, never believe a magazine's <laughs> media kit. And, you know, and I'm just seeing dollar signs. They convince me that this is perfect for them. This is the right audience. And I, the so to run my full page ad. You know, which I might have been getting for a thousand, two thousand bucks, three thousand bucks in some of the bodybuilding magazines. To run it in penthouse, it was crazy uh for one insertion. I forget what it was. It was like darn near sixty thousand dollars. Wow. And uh but I'm doing the math in my head. I'm thinking, okay, let's just cut it in half. Let's say, you know, I'm getting four hundred percent return on investment. Let's say I only get two hundred percent return on investment. I'm counting the money I'm gonna make. Mm-hmm. And so, I negotiate the price down to forty thousand, I believe. And not only that, I negotiate them giving me thirty day net terms. So I don't pay for the ad; they run the ad, and I pay for it in thirty days later. So I'm, I'm going to owe them forty grand. But of course, I'm thinking, ah, no problem. I'm going to make yeah. at least eighty grand because look at my track Peel record. Peel that right off of my knot. Yeah, that'll be easy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, it did not work out that way it was it must have been the most disappointing most pathetic response I ever got like I think the ad maybe grossed a couple thousand wow and uh and I'm you know at that point I'm just freaking out and and that led to the downward spiral spiral owing them 40 grand I didn't have you know stole money from the successful part of my business and and then you know I'm to keep the, to keep things running, I'm charging the ads on credit cards. It was literally like I was doing really good. Mm-hmm. I really had uh, a nice business going. I was single. I, my expenses were low. I was just living the life of Riley. And, you know, literally, it was just a handful of months later <laughs> that it all came crashing down. The big takeaway is. Every new media you test, I don't care how good your copy's doing. Every every new media you want to run in is a test until that media is proven.
1: Mm. That's great. So, same exact ad. Now, what what was an example of a magazine that it was doing really well in, or a publication?
0: Um, I was running in all the available bodybuilding magazines at the time which iron man mm-hmm. muscle mag international muscle and fitness flex natural bodybuilding and fitness it's funny
1: now that i'm naming them all off i mean there are hardly any of them left right. around anymore yeah it sure has changed that market uh and then and then so penthouse comes along and it yeah there, there was no did you kind of go to them and go hey guys look i mean you swore that this was a fit and I feel a little duped here. Is, is there any of that? Or is that a totally pointless argument at that point?
0: <laughs> it, it was a pointless argument. Um, i you know, here was the real problem. That actually was not a marketing problem or a copywriting problem. That was an arrogance problem. Mm-hmm. And see, I'd been, so let me say, I went full time in direct response marketing in 97 and, uh, So I guess, you know what, I take it back. It was shortly after that. So it was not mid-90s, it was late 90s, I guess. So I was still a rookie for all intents and purposes, but I was a rookie who had some uh, really good hits under my belt. And, you know, I started thinking this stuff is simple, you know, writing copy that converts and, you know, starting these businesses, this is simple. And I, I started thinking I could do no wrong because I, I had another hit outside the bodybuilding niche, too. I started a, a info product business uh, selling to martial arts school owners. And, you know, so those were the I had two hits in direct response marketing. Of course, we didn't talk about the nine years prior to that while I was still in the police department where I was trying to start traditional businesses and they all failed. Mm. But once, once I got in direct response marketing, you know what, those first three entrepreneurial ventures were successful. And so the problem with the me going bankrupt wasn't a marketing problem. It was an arrogance problem mm. thinking that, you know, well, I'm so good, man, I can make all this stuff work and I'll always, you know, make it work. And, you know, just taking too big of a risk at a time and not not doing this thing by the numbers, you know, testing right. small. And and then, you know,
1: I, so. guess, it's, I guess it's like our friend John Carlton always says, you know, uh, the minute you find success as an entrepreneur, your sole purpose in life is to immediately find a way to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he puts things. <laughs> it's magic. You know, uh, that's that's
0: like the most dangerous spot for for uh, an entrepreneur or for a uh, for a copywriter and it usually seems to happen in the beginning years or the intermediate years where you're just like ah oh, you know i've had so many hits i can do no wrong yeah your
1: your big fall is coming <laughs> yeah that's the truth yeah I, I this same thing as a comic you know i my first like two three times on stage were just felt like natural and i immediately thought i got this i'm you know i'm a made man <laughs> <laughs> and then I sauntered on stage one night when I didn't plan on going up and just bit it. Brutal. It's crickets. You know? And I was like, wow. And I asked my buddy Lou. I go, Lou, what happened? I. It was the same jokes. He goes, you phoned it in, kid. He goes, you won't, he goes, you won't do that again. <laughs> so, Tough way to learn. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, You know, a a lot cheaper than yours. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's nice to get that immediate feedback as much as it hurts at the moment. That's the thing about marketing, right? It's just like, you know, how long did you have to wait and not see results from that $40,000 commitment, man? This is brutal. So, all right. So, uh, Dan, this was great. I got to wrap. I could go on all day with you. I think we'll have to do this again for a part two. Uh, Everybody can find you at DobermanDan.com. Also, and check out Dan's uh, monthly newsletter, Five Years Strong. That's really saying something in this industry. Obviously a cat with a lot of stories to share, a lot of experience and wisdom to share. Also, check out the Off The Chain uh, podcast that you're uh, doing along with our buddy, producer Jonathan. It's a great show. It's uh, offthechainshow.com is where you'll find that show and also on iTunes, Stitcher and all those good places so uh, Dan thanks a ton for doing this it was super fun man look forward to doing it again thank you Kevin I had a blast talk to you hey thanks again for listening to the truth about marketing podcast if you like this show and you think other people would like this show the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes just log in click review leave a big old fat five star review And let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash T-A-M, as in Truth About Marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro... Do all that on the inside of the members area of CopyChief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.